You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to episode 39 of the Crisis in the Church series. Today's episode is all about ordinations and Episcopal consecrations in the new rite. There were changes made to both ceremonies in the last 50 years, so we'll answer the question, does that make this sacrament invalid? Or, put another way, are we in the midst of a crisis where all the priests and bishops who are ordained using this rite are not actually priests and bishops? In order to understand this, we'll need to look at the form and matter of sacraments and answer a fundamental question. Can the Church change the form of sacraments at all? And if the Church is allowed to make these changes, what needs to remain in order for a sacrament to be valid? Are there very specific words that must be said no matter what? Father McFarland is here this week to answer these questions for us now on the SSPX Podcast. And we're welcoming Father McFarland, the prior of Our Lady of Sorrows in Phoenix, Arizona, back again. Hi, Father. How are you? Good. How are you, Andrew? Good to see you. Doing well. Thank you. Good to see you, too. And we are talking today about the validity of priestly ordinations and Episcopal ordinations in the Novus Ordo, uh, as as we've been talking about for the last two, three dozen episodes, um, everything changed. Everything changed uh, in the Second Vatican Council and, and the reforms afterwards. Uh, and the sacraments have two, including holy orders and including the Episcopal consecrations. So um, there there are some doubts. There have been some doubts that have been put, put forward about both the ordinations and the consecrations. Are they valid? Are they not? Um, so where do we start with this discussion, Father? Well, I would say we can talk about who who brings it up, who challenges the the um, the validity of the those ordinations, um, and you find it particularly among the the set of acantists that we've been talking about in the series lately, right? Supporting to support their claim that the the members of the hierarchy have been deprived their offices um, uh, on account of heresy. They they point to changes in the sacraments and say, well, these sacraments are they've changed. They must be invalid. This can't have been produced by a, a real valid hierarchy, a true pope. Um, and then, uh, of course, because of their that position that they hold, that the the man wearing that white cassock who lives in the Vatican, who calls himself the pope, but isn't really the pope, um, because he promulgated these, these new forms of the sacraments, they're quite naturally going to look with suspicion upon any, any right that's been produced since that supposed loss of the papal office um and not just the set of acantus but you will come across some other kind of hardliner traditionalists adopting these positions which i think in most cases they come to not so much from from any sort of theological reasoning even faulty but uh, because they have a suspicion and a hostility and which is rather understandable towards anything produced since vatican ii um but we need to really think about these things and apply the principles of theology and not just be reactionaries. It changed. Therefore, not only is it not a good thing, but it's it's necessarily invalid at the same time. On the other hand, you have um, people who are just just they don't really know what they're looking at. Right? They um, have a complete lack of knowledge about the principles of sacramental theology. It's a very superficial look at uh, at these rites and they don't hesitate to publish their uh, ignorant opinions on the internet um, and convince other people. Uh, and then you have some some priests who are, um, particularly among the set of who are really 
clever, they're well-read, they have access to the sources that the majority of laymen don't. Um, and so they're able to present a, a fairly impressive case, um, it would seem, for for their view that these sacraments, these uh, ordinations and Episcopal consecrations are invalid. And it's it seems these days like everybody, you know, with who has an interest in uh, traditional Catholic questions and an internet connection is a sacramental theologian. All sorts of people weighing in on things that they do not understand at all. Uh, so it is important to to bring it back down to the the, the level of principle. Right. So, so we have to understand the principles instead of just looking at such and such dot blogspot dot com. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, so what are the principles then for for ordinations and for the consecrations? I, and I guess we have to then take just a step back and say, what are the principles for a valid uh, sacrament? Right. So what, well, even before that, say, what, what do we mean when we say valid? And this is a, this is a, a, uh, a matter of confusion for a lot of people is that valid doesn't mean that it's necessarily good or that it's holy or that it's desirable. It has a it has a a strict technical meaning in theology, and when it refers to a sacrament, it means that the effect of that sacrament takes place. What the sacrament is is meant to do actually happens. So, if I were to have a a uh, you know a bottle of Bordeaux and a slice of white bread here on my desk, and I were to pronounce the words of consecration with the intent to make the transubstantiation happen, that would be valid, right? That the effects would take place. I'm a priest. I use the right words. I use the right matter. That's not something that you should be a part of. It would be a grave sin on my part. It would be a, a grave sin on anyone else's part to willingly participate in that. But nevertheless, the effect takes place. It's valid, even though it's gravely illicit, evil, etc. Okay. So here, when we talk about a valid uh, rite of ordination or consecration, we're not saying that we like the new rite. We're not saying that we want to use the new rite. We're not saying it's just as good as the old one or that it should have been changed. Rather that the priestly character is given so that, or the Episcopal character is given to the ordinate. Uh, you know, for example, the, the, the so-called Orthodox, the Eastern Rite schismatics, they have valid ordination, and the church has always recognized the validity of their ordinations. The Those who undergo Episcopal consecration and priestly ordination in those rites are really priests and bishops, but it's not good. It's not pleasing to God because it's accomplished while being in the state of schism. And validity requires matter, form, intention, and a minister capable of accomplishing the, the sacrament in question. So the correct matter, form, and intention. Um, and matter is a, a physical action or a physical thing, uh, usually, but not always a, a combination thereof. So physical action performed with something, for example, the pouring of water for baptism, uh, the imposition of hands with the anointing of chrism for confirmation. Uh, most of the time, the matter is determined by at least apostolic tradition. The church has some leeway for modification in, uh, in certain sacraments. Um, but there's not a lot there. We'll speak about that more when we talk about the next thing, which is which is form. And form are the 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 words that are used specifically to um, bring about the sacrament. 
every sacrament is going to have other words, other prayers, other rites that are joined to it. But the form is that series of words by which the effect takes place. So you have, for example, in the canon of the Mass, numerous prayers. Uh, nevertheless, those those words for this is my body are the sacramental form that that turns the bread into the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, and the 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 form makes clear what the what the action is. So to think of of baptism. There, there are plenty of reasons you might pour water on someone, uh, you know, because you want to cool him off or because you're playing a joke on him. The 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 words let us know what's actually being done by that action of pouring water, which is the, the cleansing from original sin. Um, and form has been determined specifically. So the the precise words that are to be used for just two sacraments. And that's baptism and the Holy Eucharist. So those are the, the, the sacraments for which we find the form given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ in Holy Scripture. Um, there's a little latitude on the, on the side of the church, it has, but it has to basically be there. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And this, for this is my body, this is, this is my blood, etc. The chalice of my blood, the new and eternal testament, and so on. Um, outside of those two sacraments, the church has, in fact, tremendous leeway in the composition of the form for, for sacramental rites. And it's extremely important to understand this, because if you think that the, the words used throughout the Latin church in the time of, of Pius XII were the only form ever recognized by the church as being valid, you're going to be very confused and very wrong when it comes to ex- assessing the validity of the new rite. Uh, the forms of every sacrament, except for, for baptism and Holy Eucharist, are going to differ between the Latin Church and the various Eastern rites, keeping in mind that the Church has always recognized those Eastern rites as being perfectly valid. The same ideas are expressed, but in, in often very different words. Okay? And that form has to express in some way, even, even if it's composed by the Church, it has to express in some way what's being done. Okay, the precise words, the form don't have to contain everything. They don't have to have, um, you know, scholastic theological precision in the form. They, they generally don't. Um, but it has to be clear in the context of the right what's taking place. So, so I, I was, I was going to ask, Father, and sorry for interrupting. Um, you said, so our, our Lord himself has only specified two Two word, two not two words, but the the form specifically for for two sacraments, baptism and Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of them, and maybe you're going to get into this. I might be jumping ahead. Where do they come from? Then you said the church thought tradition. Right. Uh, the church has composed them at, at some okay. time or another. Most of them have have quite an ancient tradition. Uh, it, so it's not as if the you know some pope you know woke up one morning in the middle ages and said, Hey, I think I'll, I'll compose a rite of confirmation or of ordination sure. today. But at some point, um, the, the, the church produced these things. And so the principle is if the church instituted it, the church can change it. Uh, and that's, that's simply a, a matter of, uh, of how hierarchy works. You know, if, if an authority imposes a certain law of any sort, that same authority can abrogate that law or change that law. Sure. Um, if a higher authority gave that law, then the lower one cannot. Thus, we can't change the words that our Lord Jesus Christ 
demands that we use for for those two sacraments of Holy Eucharist and and baptism. But for those that he left to the the church to compose, the church can um, vary them as as she sees fit for you know for a good reason. Okay, um, it's not something to just be thrown around and and treated lightly. Right. Um, which we can argue was done after the Second Vatican Council. Certainly, that um, that's a separate question from validity. Okay. So again, just here we're talking about validity. What is the bare minimum, I guess you could say, for a for a sacrament right. to be done? Right. Exactly. And so that you know, it, it bears on the question of you know, referring back to said again, does the church still exist if if there are no um, valid priests and bishops in in most of the world? If most of those priests and bishops are are imposters who are uh, um, don't actually have the priestly or episcopal character, well then you know, what's left of, of the hierarchy as it's always been understood by the church. Um, so that's matter and form. So matter, the, the action, uh, usually involving some material thing, the, the form, the words that specify what that, that action is, uh, is actually doing. And then you have the the intention. Uh, so the intention is what what the the person accomplishing the the sacramental action what he wills what he intends to do. Um, and God has made it quite easy to have the right intention. All that's required is for one to to want to do what the church does. Uh, and that intention is, it's a, a principle of sacramental theology. The intention is presumed if the one confecting the sacrament follows the church's right. So you, you go to mass on Sunday, you see the priest go through the, the saying the, the, the Tridentine rite of mass. You presume that he is validly offering the mass, validly confecting the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. Sure. And you don't question um, if he does something, if he comes out and does something totally different, then you'd be uh, at liberty to question. But we always, if, if the, the, the one um, bringing about the sacrament, um, enacting the sacrament, confecting the sacrament, if he follows the church's right, we presume validity. Okay. Um, we, we can't ever know with absolute certainty anybody else's intention. But even if they tell us this is my intention, they could be lying. They could be, you know, have forgotten, you know, who knows. But we can make a reasonable presumption based on them going through with the right as prescribed by the church. And the church is, is doing this and, and making this uh, making this distinction so that we are not overly scrupulous and going, well, I don't know. I Father McFarland, I don't really know about him. I don't right. know that he celebrated, that he consecrated the Holy Eucharist properly. Like right. we, we just have to err on the side of giving you the benefit of the doubt, essentially. Right, right. And you have to have a very, very, very strong reason for not right. giving that benefit of the doubt. Father McFarland uh, does not want the faithful <laughs> coming to him after mask going. <laughs> right, right. Because we'd always be second-guessing everything. Right. You know, and, and you do come across those people who have that that kind of scrupulosity about the validity sure. of sacraments, which is uh, which is a spiritual disease. You know, they're always asking to be rebaptized, for example, you know, and maybe one of the 25 times it will, they will have gotten it right. So they can be sure that they, um, and, uh, you know, I, I father coughed in the, you know, during the words of consecration, uh, you know, they were interrupted. I'm sure it was invalid. And, you know, that, that, uh, that sort of thing gets very crazy very quickly. I'm sure you've never heard any of that. <laughs> never. Uh, and the, uh, 
as far as intention goes too, it's, it's not even necessary to know exactly what the church does. You just have to, to will to do what the church does. Huh. Um, you don't have to believe it either. So a, a pagan can baptize. So if they're, you know, two pagans living far from Christian civilization someplace, and the one of them has heard about the faith, he's dying. He wants to be baptized. He asks his friend, could you baptize me? And the friend says, what is that? It's, you know, it's a, it's a right of the Catholic Church um, by which I become a member, and you can do it for me. Pour this water on my head and say these words. And that that pagan just intending to do what the church does, not even really knowing about the church, not really knowing about the sacrament, he validly confects that sacrament. Okay. Um, so, and, you know, sacraments um, performed by heretics, even if they're uh, heretics um, in regard to certain matters pertaining directly to a particular sacrament can often be valid. Sometimes they're doubtful too, but it, validity is, is, uh, is possible there. Okay. The next thing is necessary is the is the the proper minister for the um, for the sacrament. So the one who performs the sacrament has to be capable of doing so. So for baptism, that's pretty easy. That's everyone. Um, for for marriage, it's a uh, baptized man, baptized woman, without impediments. Okay. So they. Um, administer the, the sacrament to each other. Every other sacrament requires a priest and ordination requires a bishop. Confirmation usually requires a bishop, except in special circumstances, including danger of death. A, a priest can give confirmation, but for ordination and of which Episcopal consecration is part, uh, a bishop is required. Um, so, you know, and uh, that's everything that's really necessary for the, for the sacrament. So matter form intention and a minister capable of, of, uh, of bringing about the, the particular sacrament. Okay. And, you know, we could talk at great length about the set of Acantist arguments, their particular objections to the new right. Um, and if we get really got down into the weeds on that, the, this podcast would go on for hours. And a, a lot of those aren't even really worth addressing. Um, but, uh, so we'll try to to give an an overall view, and in the hopes that that gives the the best possible understanding. Right, remembering that one fundamental difficulty with those set of Acantus arguments is that they are strongly biased against anything coming from the church since 1958. Which, whether they intend to or not, they say the hierarchical church effectively went out of existence in 1958 or shortly thereafter. Right, and that's theirs is a on that account a jaundiced view. So if you don't agree with their position on that, then you should definitely take any of their arguments against the validity of the new sacraments with a grain of salt. Right. If you, if the, um, you know, and if the entire Catholic world is following an imposter church whose episcopacy and priesthood have gone out of existence almost completely, then what do we say of our Lord's promises to the church that he would be with us until the end of time uh, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're not going to get into a refutation of set of itself here. I would prefer anyone who has not seen it yet to Father Tranquilo's podcast on that subject. Um, so talking about specifically ordination to the priesthood. Okay. The uh, the matter in the old rite 
it's the imposition of hands. So the bishop placing both of his hands on the head of the ordinary. Uh, in the new rite, it's exactly the same. Bishop imposes both hands on the ordinary. Okay. The form in the old rite, grant we beseech the Almighty Father to these thy servants, the dignity of the priesthood, renew within them the spirit of holiness so that they may hold from thee, O God, the office of the second rank in thy service, and by the, the example of their behavior, afford a pattern of holy living. The new rite, grant we beseech thee, Almighty Father, to these thy servants, the dignity of the priesthood, renew within them the spirit of holiness. May they hold from thee, O God, the office of the second rank in thy service, and by the example of their behavior, afford a pattern of holy living. So that, so that is missing. Therefore, <laughs> done. <laughs> All right. So you have, it's in the Latin, it's just one word. It's oot. So, okay. so that, or, or so that. Um, it doesn't offer, uh, alter the the sense of the passage in the slightest. Um, so you really have to be determined at the outset that you're going to find this invalid to say that that one word makes a tremendous difference. Can I, can I, I make a quick distinction, Father? Sorry. Mm -hmm. This is, especially for this sacrament, for ordinate, for holy orders, uh, since it was not a formula, uh, since it was not a form that was given to us specifically by our Lord Jesus Christ, the words can change. So that's what you were saying yep. at the very beginning. So, yes. Okay. So the, yeah, these words are not fixed in the Eastern right. You'll find different words of, uh, of priestly ordination. Okay. Right? Totally, totally different words. Right. Here you have just a, the change of a single, a single UT two letter okay. word, uh, doesn't alter the sense. Um, and then, uh, some, who are again really want are determined to to show that this is invalid will attack the intention. Um, but keep in mind, intention not difficult to have, and it's presumed that if one follows the right, um, then he has the intention, and the words clearly express that one is making a priest, and that's the point. Okay. okay. Uh, the minister, so still in the new right, only bishops ordain priests. Um, so most of those who were you know, set of or otherwise who claim that there are no priests validly ordained the new rite, they don't generally um, attack the rite of priestly ordination itself, because with the exception of that one word, it's the same matter and form that the that the church formerly used for ordination. Um, so you again, there there's some special characters out there in internet land who you know everything new is invalid. So that that is critically important to the 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 validity of the right. Um, that's not serious. There's there's no reason to even respond extensively to that. Okay. So interestingly, though the 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 question uh, on which they will attack priestly ordination is the matter of the minister because. They're going to go after the right of Episcopal consecration, uh, which is very much changed. And if there are no bishops, no valid bishops, there's no one to validly ordain priests. Sure. So you have someone who has a has a pointy hat, but he just looks like a bishop. Right. <laughs> He's not really one, so he can put on put his hands on someone's head and say the words all he wants. Nothing happens. That's what okay. they claim. Right? Um, even if matter, form, and intention are fine, no bishop performing. Ceremony, no valid ordinations, which which is 
is true if if that were the case. Right. So the Episcopal consecration is really the key point in in this whole discussion. Okay. Um, so that's what we what we want to talk about. Um, and I can just mention briefly without getting too much into this that prior to Vatican II, uh, the question of whether Episcopal consecration was actually part of the sacrament of holy orders was still an open question. Hmm. Um, Vatican II, uh, in its documents, says that it is, is in fact sacramental, does belong to holy orders. Um, it hasn't it didn't define that because it didn't define anything. Um, but that was already the more common opinion. And if it's, if it's not sacramental, then, oh, it, you know, this whole discussion, what difference does it make? Um, but we're going to presume for the purposes of this discussion that it is, is sacramental, which requires a greater burden of proof. In fact, um, that the new right is okay. Okay. Right. Um, so, in Episcopal consecration, in the, the uh, so the matter of the sacrament is again the imposition of hands in the old rite and in the new rite. Uh, there are some of those again who objectors to the new rite, who the validity of the new rite, who raise a difficulty that at the imposition of hands, the candidate for the episcopacy has has the book of the Gospels laid on on the back of his head. Um, which is really irrelevant because all that's required is is moral, moral and not physical union for the uh, sacramental action to take place. Okay, the sacramental sign, which is the imposing of hands, still takes place. Okay, so so they're um, saying that since the book of the Gospels is on the head and the bishop puts his hands over the book of the Gospels, that that right. doesn't work. It's like yeah, it, it the, Episcopal, the, the Episcopal consecration bounces off the book. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess. <laughs> um, well, I think they would say there's no union, but it's, again, it's just a moral union. It doesn't actually have to be strict physical union. Um, you know, you, you come across the same sort of thing. People who will think that because a priest forgot to take the lid off the ciborium at the consecration at mass, that the hosts in that ciborium are not consecrated. I saw you do that last Sunday, Father. I'm just kidding. Did I forget? No, I, have I forgot. No idea. I, I admit that I've forgotten in times past, but it doesn't, you know, doesn't right. affect validity, although you are supposed to take it off. Sure. Okay. Um, so the real question here is the form. Uh, so because the we're not with like with pre-ordination, it's not a difference of just one word. Okay. The whole thing is different. Okay. Completely different. So the old right, the words of the form are complete in thy priest, the fullness of thy ministry and adorned in the raiment of all glory, sanctify him with the dew of heavenly anointing. Okay. And the, the new, right. And now pour forth on this chosen one, the power, which is from thee, the governing spirit, whom thou gavest to thy beloved son and whom he gave to the holy apostles who founded the church in every place as thy sanctuary unto the glory and unceasing praise of thy name. So again, no resemblance. The, the the new one is not in any way based on the old one. There's no direct correlation. Um, hmm. So the question then becomes, if that's the case, does the new right sufficiently express what's being accomplished? And then firstly, we should note that this form in the new right is based on an ancient text called the Apostolic Tradition of Hippolytus. Uh, that forms the basis of some Eastern rites of, of Episcopal consecration, 
Uh, Notably, the the Coptic rite of consecration has a very uh, very similar formulation, and including those words, governing spirit or leading spirit, uh, spiritu principalis. And those words, consequently, governing spirit, have, have a tradition in the usage of the Eastern Church referring to the grace of the Episcopal office. So again, that that the church has understood by these words uh, episcopal consecration in the past, and that connection to a certainly valid Eastern rite uh, is sufficient in itself to establish validity. Uh, but we can also refer to what we call uh, the significatio adjunctis, so the the signification by by what's connected. So it's not as if the entire entire ceremony of Episcopal consecration takes place in that little paragraph that we just read. There, there are other prayers there and so on with the constant reference to the making of a bishop. So in that context, it's, it's clear that they're, the pouring out of this, this governing or ruling or leading spirit is, is a reference to becoming a bishop. So if you if you pull it out and just look at it in by itself, it you might say, well, whoa, what does that even mean? Right. But the same is is in fact true for the uh, the old right. You know, if you if you pull it out of its context, what are what are we really saying? The fullness of the ministry. Yes, you can understand that obviously as as the episcopacy. But do you need to? Not necessarily. You know. The, Sanctify him with the dew of heavenly anointing. That could mean all kinds of things. Uh, so this, um, so we we know what the church means by what it, what the what is joined to these this actual form in the rest of the rite. Um, this uh, this form that couple of sentences that that we just read from the form of the of the new rite of Episcopal consecration is uh, you know is part of of a prayer that continues after the the words of the form. Father, you know all hearts. You have chosen your servant for the office of bishop. May he be a shepherd to your holy flock and a high priest blameless in your sight, ministering to you night and day. May he always gain the blessing of your favor and offer the gifts of your holy church. Through the spirit who gives the grace of high priesthood, grant him the power to forgive sins as you have commanded, to assign ministries as you have decreed, and to loose every bond by the authority which you gave to your apostles. May he be pleasing to you by his gentleness and purity of heart, presenting a fragrant offering to you through Jesus Christ, your son, through whom glory and power and honor are yours with the Holy Spirit in your holy church now and forever. Amen. So in that prayer that contains the form, you have explicit reference to the office of bishop. Those words, office of bishop, occur in the prayer. You have reference to shepherd to the flock. To being a high priest, which is a, a phrase that appears in the um, in the traditional rite as well. You have reference to the forgiveness of sins, the assigning of ministries. Right, those spell out things that are essential to the office of bishop, so that it is quite clear what we are actually speaking about in that that governing spirit that's being imparted in in the words of the form itself. Okay, this um, this reminds me quite a bit of the last episode we just did this past week, uh, Father, when we were talking about. Uh, Benedictantism, the, the the idea of whether or not Pope Benedict is still the Pope, um, and and Don Tranquilo went through some of these examples, saying, "Well, yes, in the in the uh, text that he gave in the consistory, 
he did have some grammatical errors and, and he could have made it a little more clear. And people seize on that and say, see, that's, he's still the Pope. But Don Tranquilo was like, but later on, he gave all of these clues, all of, not, not even clues, but he said explicitly, the seat of Peter is vacant. And then later on, when he was saying goodbye to the crowds in Castel Gandolfo, he said, you know, he said something again similar. So you can't just take <clears throat> one sentence and say, see, that's it. You have to look at all of it in context and it's right. It's there. And that's, and that's, this is going to be universally true. Um, it's, it's a classic problem with Protestantism is that they, they clip out little scripture quotes yeah. that are in fact difficult. If you take them out of context that can seem to, to support what they're, what they're claiming. But then when you take it in context, their, their claims are absurd. You know, say salvation by faith alone, you can, you can open St. Paul at random and find a refutation. Right. And it's this, and, and people now in, in the internet, uh, the availability of, of all these church documents and translations of them uh, makes it worse is they they're trying to make a point. In many cases, they've already decided what that the conclusion is, and then they're just looking for quotes to support it. So they yank things out of context. And this proves what I'm saying. Um, and so there's everything, every church document, every right. It has to we have to consider it in in the context. So the form what strictly makes the the, the form in, in um, as we approach this scholastically is a particular sentence that talks about an effect taking place, but that the whole right goes to demonstrating what that effect actually is. You know, if you even think about about baptism, you know, all that's required is is the pouring of the. Um, uh, of the water and the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's not self-evident that that's necessarily referring to the cleansing from original sin and the right. uh, um, the infusion of sanctifying grace. But that is clear then from the right that the church surrounds that that sacrament. So for a form to be valid for the for the Episcopal consecrations, and I think I'm quoting you right, you just said it, there has to be some sort of an effect. You have to say something that refers to the effect happening. And in the new right, rite, we have that. It's, and now pour forth on this chosen one, the power, et cetera. There's this, yep. this is pouring forth, this coming through. And it's different from the old rite where it says complete in thy priest, but it's the same concept. It's I'm doing this action in order to complete this fullness of the priesthood or this consecration or whatever you want to say. Right. That's happening, even though the words are different. Right. So calling okay. upon God to give this governing spirit, pour it forth upon this candidate, this chosen one. And what is that? And then it's made very clear from the rest of the of that very same prayer. Okay. Um, so really pretending that there's, that there's um, ambiguity in the right is either a matter of ignorance about sacramental theology or trying to make your facts fit a previously established conclusion. Okay. I've already determined that, that this right is invalid, and now I just need to find some stuff that supports my contention. Okay. I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a second, Father. Uh, it, you've been, this is kind of rare in this series where you are defending a new right uh, of the Mass. Uh, and <laughs> it, at least it sounds... It sounds like you are defending it. Um, are you defending it truly? Uh, I'm defending its validity. Okay. Right? And remembering that that has a, a strict uh, theological sense. Uh, I'm not saying that this was a good idea. 
know, why did we okay. need to change the right of Episcopal consecration? Uh, and there are things in the 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 new right that that uh, can be interpreted according to collegiality and so on. There's a reference in one of the prayers uh, to you know joining the College of Bishops and and right. and things like that. Um, so that's not a good thing. I you know, I'm not recommending that anyone who's going to be consecrated bishop should be consecrated in the new right. Um, if it were up to me, uh, we'd go back to the old one, you know, no sooner than this time yesterday. Um, you know, there's this, this insatiable desire among, um, the so-called reformers to just always do something new to, to change things and, and a, and a disdain for the, the church's traditions, including her liturgical traditions. Um, and uh, certainly we, we can deplore that, that perverse obsession with, uh, with novelty. Um, but that disordered motivation uh, on the side of those who have composed these new rights doesn't necessarily make those rights invalid. And it's, it's an important question insofar as it refers to the, the perpetuity, the visibility of the hierarchical church. Okay. That makes sense. Um, this is, I guess, one last point that I'll ask about uh, before we close and I don't. I don't have numbers. I don't know what the official practice of the Society of Saint Pius X is, but I have heard um, that when priests come over to the Society of Saint Pius X or join the Society of Saint Pius X from the Novus Ordo, and they have been ordained in the new rite of ordinations, uh, that at times the Society of Saint Pius X has done a conditional ordination or at the very least an investigation. If all you're saying here is true, Father, and especially with the priestly ordinations that they are just about the same why would the sspx go through all of that trouble well it was it was more common more commonly done um in decades past when there wasn't not as much study had been done on the on the question of the um uh the ordinations and so looking at them side by side there's a tremendous difference and um but uh that's i think is is part of it also there it is still a possibility you know as you know, often in a in the modern church, there's a, a tendency to ad lib. So if you mm -hmm. have a if you have a bishop who's ordaining a priest or consecrating a bishop who um, just makes up his own words uh, as he goes, or uh, or has something prepared beforehand that he likes better, that's not the the right that the church has approved. Um, it would render that that ordination uh, doubtful to say the least. Uh, we do generally look into the the uh the ordinations of those those people who come to us but and if the right has been followed um the, the presumption is uh as we talked about in favor of validity okay. um but you know that there there can certainly be uh, exceptions to that but you brought up an interesting point this is there are definitely times where i shouldn't say definitely because i don't know for certain um but there, there are probably times where like you said, uh, the, the ceremony has been ad-libbed a little bit, and so there may be some doubt in particular cases, but we're not really talking about that here. We're talking about the whole, you know, ordinations as it is done in the new rite, as it is prescribed, that right. is valid. Right. And I think the vast majority of bishops are just going to follow the script because, sure. you know, why wouldn't you? It's easy. Um, you save, yeah, save your ad-libbing for your, for your homily or, or right. uh, your opening remarks or what have you. Um, and then um, just stick to the script, but uh, but no, there uh, you know 
as we've looked into these questions more and more, it's it's uh, it's become clear that this, you know, in itself, what's what's present there is is sufficient for the, the valid ordination of a um, valid consecration of, of a bishop, and even even more so um, in the right of priest ordination itself. There's nothing really there to uh, to cause much concern. Okay. Well, that is, uh, it's good to know. And uh, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a little surprising, uh, in, in this series to hear, Hey, this is, this is okay. And we're not saying it's okay. It's saying this is right. valid. Um, but it, but it is nice to know, uh, without a doubt that there are at least more bishops in the world than, than the bishops of the society of St. Pius X. That would be terrifying. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, would, could we say that the church, the hierarchical church still exists? And in such a case, right. we, we really couldn't. And I think right. it, it's it's important to point out, too, that, you know, the work of the society is to 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 do the work of, of the Catholic Church, that we um, we don't just want to be reactionaries or, you know, everything's invalid. It's it's uh, it's all a mess. We're not even going to look into it. We'll just, you know, redo every sacrament. And you 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 come across people of that mentality, sometimes even priests of that mentality who are rebaptizing those who were baptized and, um, you know, in the modern church and what have you. Um, and that's not, that's not normal. That's not balanced. That's not the practice of the church. So, um, you know, we, we want to make the necessary distinctions. We want to, to be on, on sound footing theologically, uh, historically, liturgically, and so on you know, that we, we, these questions should be, uh, are important ones and need to be examined, um, in the light of principle and not and just a ah, we hate Vatican too and we hate everything that goes along with it and so right. invalid right. that's unreasonable right on that I think we'll leave it Father thank you so much for your time I appreciate Lovely it very much All right. God bless you you too thank you for listening to and watching episode 39 of our Crisis in the Church series here on the SSPX podcast Next week on the Crisis Series, we'll begin our final section of episodes focused on the Society of St. Pius X as a whole. But before we look at the history of the SSPX or justifications of its ministry or the 1988 consecrations, we have to take a step back and see what is the mission of the SSPX. Why was it founded? Father Reed will join us next week to discuss the idea of the SSPX. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and to the SSPX News English YouTube channel so that you won't miss next week's episode or any of our future ones. And if you have the ability to set up a monthly recurring donation of $5 or $10 or $20 on sspxpodcast.com, it would help us immensely to complete this crisis in the church project. Until next week, thank you for listening and God bless you.